We are delighted this morning to have with us a number of visitors. I mentioned last Sunday morning that I would like to encourage you through the month of March to invite your friends, your neighbors, your family, that we might gather together and study some important lessons about our future. And some of you have invited your neighbors, your friends, and your family. And for those of you who are visiting with us, we want you to know we appreciate your being here. What we do during our sermon portion of the lesson is to take a part of God's Word and to study it. Most of the scriptures you will hear will be on the screen, but I would like to encourage you, if you brought your Bible with you, follow along in your own Bible. If you wish you had brought your Bible, we do have pew Bibles in each of the racks, and you may be able to get one of those and follow along with us. It is our purpose simply to study what God wants us to do, so that we might be able to be pleasing unto Him. And this morning's lesson is going to be entitled, God Be Merciful to Me, a Sinner. The truth is, sin is not a popular topic. If I were to ask each of you what you would like me to preach on this morning, the majority may have said something like you preached on last Sunday. We talked about a glimpse into glory. Will we know one another in heaven? A number of you came out after services saying, that lesson was really helpful to me. I noticed this morning that we got a report in from our internet. Another couple hundred people listened to it this week on the internet after that. So there's a lot of people who are interested in that. But when you start talking about sin, people don't always have that same appreciation. In fact, our society has got to the point where we really want to change the terminology. We don't want to talk about sin. We want to talk about our mistakes. And many of the sins in which people involve themselves have been totally rediscussed in a different way. We revision them, if you will. For instance, nobody commits fornication anymore. They simply live together. Nobody is a drunkard. They simply have a struggle with a substance abuse. That sounds so much better. You see, we really don't want to face the fact that there is sin in this world and we ourselves are involved in that sin and we have to address it directly God's word, God's message forces people to take a hard look at themselves. I have to look at me. I have to look at my life. You have to look at yourself. You have to look at your life. And if we see sin there, we have to recognize it as being sin. The idea for these series of lessons came from personal Bible reading. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse 30, Peter was walking on the water to meet Jesus. Everything appeared to be fine until he became aware of the danger around about him. And once he did, he began to sink. And according to Matthew 14, verse 30, But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. It's only when we understand that we are sinking 
and the waters of sin. And we appreciate that the Lord is the only one who has the ability to reach out and take us and save us that we will then begin to search for that salvation. We're going to look at three things in our lesson this morning. We're going to look, first of all, at conviction of sin. That's a biblical discussion. Then we want to talk about confession of sin. That also is a biblical discussion. And then we want to talk about being courageous about doing something about our sin. Let's begin, first of all, with the idea of conviction. Whether you realize it or not, conviction is an important part of our salvation. Never will anyone cry out and say, Lord, save me, unless they believe and are convinced that they are lost. As you look at your life at this very moment, I mean at this very time, you are either saved or you are lost. And I would dare say most of us know which it is. And you have to be willing to look at your own life and say, either I'm saved or I'm lost. I will tell you that as you go to the Bible, you will see the word convicted and convince used several times. I want you to notice with me. We're going to go to John chapter 16. The Lord has his apostles around him. He has told them that he is going to send the Holy Spirit upon them. And the Holy Spirit has a mission. It has a goal, or he has a goal, to accomplish in the lives of these apostles. So here's what John records. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Of sin because they do not believe me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you will see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Pause for just a moment. The Holy Spirit is going to convict this world of sin? Well, most certainly. When Peter and Andrew and James and John, those great apostles, went and preached the gospel, they showed men that they were sinners. Acts chapter 2, one of the first things that you will notice, you by lawless hands have crucified and slain the Son of God. You are responsible, he says. And so many people did not believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Holy Spirit's mission through these apostles was to have them preach a message that brought about conviction. And what this does, this exposes a person's actions in light of God's Word. The word from which we get this word convict is also translated expose. It's translated convince. It's translated reprove. The idea is, is that what happens is God's Word is like a, a focusing light upon what you and I do, and it convinces us what you're doing is wrong. For instance, 
and Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11. Paul would write the Ephesians to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. You brethren at Ephesus, you don't need to participate with the unworldly or otherworldly, ungodly things. You need to expose them for what they are. That means that in our society today, we have to call sin, sin. If it is fornication, it's sin. If it is drunkenness, it is sin. If it is homosexuality, it is sin. And we cannot choose to do otherwise. Or in Luke chapter 3 and verse 19, we read, But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done. He here is John the Baptist. John did exactly what God wanted him to do. He preached a message of repentance. Repentance from what? From sin. And whenever John would go and speak to someone, he would highlight the fact that there were sins to be repented of. And he focused his message on people like Herod, the Tetrarch. What had Herod done? He had taken his brother Philip's wife and he had married her. But that wasn't all. If you'll notice the last line of that verse, and for all the evils which Herod had done, Herod was guilty of a lot of sins. Or you go to 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. There the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, here's what I want you to do as a faithful evangelist of God's Word. He says, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Most of the older translations translate it reprove. The idea here is, is that you take people and you convince them that what they are doing is wrong, that it violates the will of God, that it is sin. And then John 3 verse 20 the Gospel of John often focuses on the contrast between light and darkness, good and evil. And when he gets to chapter 3, verse 20, he says, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. The world today shuns the idea of God's Word. The reason why so many people in society, particularly those who are the elite, look down, minimize, belittle the Word of God is because they know that it focuses light on sin. Now you can see this illustrated in the lives of real people. If you will, turn with me to the book of Acts, to chapter 24. The Apostle Paul had been arrested there was an uproar that had occurred in the temple area. And they brought Paul in and he first appeared before some local magistrates. And now he is going to appear before the governor. His name is Felix. 
you might think that Paul would be begging for and pleading for himself. But that's not the focus of this passage. It says in verse 25, Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. If you will, notice for just a few things about what Paul did. It says he reasoned about righteousness. That's what's right versus what's wrong. And I will tell you, Felix, like many of the other governors, had done things that were contrary to the will of God. And you're going to reason about those things. Secondly, reason with him about self-control. Felix had the ability to choose. I can either do what's right or I can do what's wrong. You know what? Each of us have that same choice. I can do what God tells me to do or I can do what I want to do. But if I do what I want to do and it violates God's will, then I've sinned. The third aspect of that is judgment to come. That's what brought about the frightening of Felix. Because he could see, I'm going to be held accountable for the things I have done. There will be a judgment day. And those sins, which I may have thought very little of, God will hold me accountable for those. And do you realize each one of us, every one of us, individually, will stand before God and account for our sins. That should, in of itself, be a frightening thought. David in Psalm 32, most of you know the sin that David committed. David saw Bathsheba from the roof of his house while she was bathing. He sent his men to take her and David committed adultery with Bathsheba. Not only did David commit adultery, but tried to cover up his adultery and the fact that a child was brought about because of that by having the wife or the husband of Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba killed Uriah. And David not only committed adultery, he committed murder. And in Psalm 32, he describes that. He said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality turned into the drought of summer. This is describing a man who looks at his life, who's been trying to keep sin on the inside and not let anybody else know about it. He's convinced he's a sinner, but he's struggling with it. What am I going to do? Or Isaiah. God privileged Isaiah to receive a valuable vision, preparing him for a job that God had called him to do. 
And yet, when Isaiah was given this picture, here's how he responds. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of the people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I look at myself and I recognize how sinful of a creature I really am. And everybody around me as well. You know, very similar in Luke chapter 5. Peter and the other men with him, Andrew, James, and John, they've been out fishing. The Lord tells them to drop their nets. They pull in this great haul of fish. And here's the way Peter responds. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You recognize who Jesus is. You recognize who you are yourself. And you're convinced of your sinfulness. How would you like to stand before the Lord right now, completely exposed in your life? That leads me to the second aspect of this lesson. And that is confession. Now, I do want to draw a distinction between confessing Christ and confessing sin. Because in a few weeks, we're going to talk about confessing Christ, what that means, what that involves, and how a person ought to do that. But at this point, we want to talk about confessing sins. And whom do we confess and how should we confess? One who is truly convicted will own up to his sinful state. Once I become fully aware that the things I have done and the way I have lived is not pleasing to God, and I am truly convinced that I'm going to own up to it and say, yes, I am a sinner. Did you listen to the Apostle Paul? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Now here's how he focuses. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus, or our Lord, was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Now folks, for just a moment, think about the Apostle Paul. How he looked at himself. At one point, he thought, here I am, I am the crusader to rid this world of all these charlatans who call themselves Christians. He blasphemed the name of Christ. He was an insolent, that is, he was a man who was angry and injurious. And here he is. He says, now I have become convinced that I am the chiefest of sinners. I'm willing to acknowledge that to other people. didn't show weakness. It showed who he really was. 
in Luke 18, the passage from which our text came. I know you all know about the two men going up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, or adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I possess, and the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Now listen carefully to verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisee looked at himself, and he was not convicted of his sins. What he was convinced of, that he was a great man. And that God should be glad to have him as one of his servants. But this Pharisee had sin. He just kept trying to put them behind him to try to ignore them, to try to not deal with them. And God looks down and he says, You see the man who beat himself on the breast saying, Be merciful to me, a sinner. That man went down to his house justified. In Psalm 32, I read to you verses 1 through 4 just a moment ago. I want you to look at David. After he is convinced he has sinned, he says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. What you find is in David saying, Lord, I tried to keep it quiet. I tried to cover it up, and that didn't work. And Lord, now I am sorry for what I have done. I am confessing my sin that I am a sinner. John the Baptist was a very effective preacher of God's Word. And John the Baptist, when he came into the region, did not hold back. And verses 5 and 6 of Matthew 3, Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized him by in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, here's an issue that I think we need to address. When I come to become a child of God... Does God expect me to go through it and, and list every sin that I have committed? No, I don't think that's necessarily what is going on here. But what you do see is people acknowledging the fact that I know I'm a sinner and I know I need salvation. And I'm admitting that I am a sinner. In Proverbs 28 and verse 13, Solomon would write, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. I hope you see the focus on the confession of sin. Now number three is courage. Everyone knows that courage is required to do something that's hard. 
You have to do something that you don't want to do. Something that is difficult in your life. And many times you have to just muster up that courage to do what you know you need to do. Let me tell you what's probably going through some minds at least this morning. I have sat where you sit. I have heard God's word preached and taught. I can remember vividly as a young man sitting right next to my grandmother, third pew from the front on the end of the pew, scared to death, thinking, if I go up, number one, I'm scared of the audience. Why, I don't know. But then you think, I don't want to admit that I made all these mistakes. But the fact is, folks, we have made the mistakes. And the sooner we recognize the sin in our life and we deal with it, the better we're going to be. And you need to take the courage today to do that. Listen to 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. God didn't give you that fear. God gives you power. Sound mind. I want you to listen to Luke 15. You all know the parable of the prodigal son. You know that this father had two sons. The younger of the two sons decided, I want to live it up. And so what he did, he went to his father and he said, Father, can I have the portion of my inheritance? Father gave it to him. Packs his bags. He goes to a far country. And what he does is to take all that money that his father had given him and waste it with riotous living. And you know what happens with people who waste their money pretty soon. They run out. Doesn't matter how much you have, pretty soon it's going to run out. And when he did, he was finally able to see himself as he really was because he saw himself as a poor, broken man who was having to eat the pig's food. And when you get to verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants? have bread enough and to spare it, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. When he came to himself is when he was convinced of his condition. Here's how I stand. I'm lost, and I need somebody to take care of me. He made his decision. He took some courage. Don't you know that it had to have been humiliating to go back to his father and say, Father, I mean, he doesn't even want to raise his head. He's so embarrassed. 
I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of the hired servants. Don't treat me like your son. Treat me like I'm a hired servant. When you become so convinced of your sins that you don't feel that you are worthy to be a child of God, you're not worthy of all the love, the mercy that God has given to you, that's when you begin to appreciate Jesus as your Savior. I want you to go to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Powerful passage. Because the Hebrew writer is trying to help this second generation of Christians to deal with the sin that's in their lives and understand that we do have a Savior. He said, Seeing that then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now listen carefully to verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You come to God boldly, not because you look and say, Oh, look how good I am like that Pharisee of Luke 18. No, you don't do that. You come boldly because you know that Jesus died for you and he is interceding for you as your high priest. In Ephesians 3, verses 10 through 12, this is a part of God's divine plan. Would you listen very carefully as we go through these three verses? To the intent now, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Pause just for just a moment here. It is through the church that God's divine wisdom is being made known, what he has purposed, what he has accomplished. Now look at verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. Wow. It's not because of what we have done, what we have said, or how we have lived. It's because we had a God who had a plan. It's because He devised the church to be the part of it. And because what Jesus did, that we have this confidence, we have this access, and we have this boldness. I'm going to end the lesson with a question. How do you see yourself? After going through all of what we've gone through about sin, how do you see yourself? It's very possible that you look at yourself and say, but you know what? I'm pretty good. There's none of us so good that we do not need salvation. Not one of us. Paul did a lesson, if you will, to the Romans to try to explain that. 
He first dealt with the Gentiles, then he dealt with the Jews, and here's what his conclusion was. He says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. Are you a, if you're a Jew, are you a sinner? Sure I am. Or if you're a Gentile, are you a sinner? Sure I am. And he'll say in verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not a person in this audience who can say, well, I'm not really a sinner. Yes, you are. So am I. And either you recognize it or you don't recognize it. But number two, none are so bad that they cannot be forgiven. Quite frequently, I have people who will talk to me and they'll say, I look at my life and I just look at some of the things I've said and some of the things I've done and I just don't think the Lord would have me. I look at my life and I, I see some of the things that are in my past and I can't be as good as you folks who go to church up there. I want you to listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. It's pretty plain, folks. Look at verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Yes, some of you were some really bad people there at Corinth, but you're forgiven because you were washed in the blood of the Lamb. You see, there's sin there. Jesus died so that all of us sinners could be forgiven. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good one man would someone even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. The very purpose of this lesson was to impress upon us we're sinners and we are either lost or saved what's the difference between the lost and the saved the difference is the lost sins have been forgiven those are saved your sins are forgiven the lost People, those sins have never been forgiven. Well, how, how do I get to that point where my sins can be forgiven? You have to have faith in Jesus Christ. John 8, verse 24. You have to repent of your sins. Luke 13, verse 3, verse 5. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Acts 3, verse 19. Acts 17, verse 30. I'll keep going if you want me to. You have to confess your faith in Christ and then be baptized for the remission of your sins. Acts 2, verse 38, have your sins washed away. Acts 22, verse 16. 
For those of you here this morning, you're not a Christian. All your sins are still laid to your charge. Now when we sing this invitation song in just a moment, if you want to respond, you can come down here to the front and we'll assist you in becoming a New Testament Christian. You can be baptized this morning. Everything's prepared. Their garments, their water is ready. If you are a Christian, you don't have to be baptized again. What you need to do is to confess your sins and He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. Would you come while we stand and sing?